Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. This is such a professional podcast. <laughs> okay, so uh, you know what to do then, Manu, right? Yes, yes, yeah. I just muted already. Okay. <laughs> just remember to unmute yourself when you want to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, we did like that like the last time, so I yeah. will just keep it in mind. Oh, the joys of home recording. Okay, get muted then, Manu. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Joining me, Ema Court, on today's One Football Podcast is Manu Dominguez. Hi, everyone. And Joanna Bueno. Hello. A quick shout out in case you didn't know, there are now two One Football Podcasts. The one that comes out on Monday, which talks about, you know, Union Jack tattoos, having a beer in the airport, even though it's before 8 a.m. And of course, the Premier League. That one is hosted by Dan Burke. And then there's this one, which talks about vintage wines, Napoleon Bonaparte, all things Euro football related. The email address remains the same. If you want to get in touch, send over any questions. That is podcast at onefootball.com. Now, good news, people. Champions League is back and good news for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who must wish he could play PSG every week uh, what what did who saw this game and what did we make of the performance yes I saw that game and I had to bite my tongue because I was spreading all over that United was going to be the disappointment of the season and there they go and they beat uh, Paris Saint-Germain in Paris they completely dominate the game so uh, yeah I think I can start talking about that tell us a little bit more in depth of what this video because you made this prediction on video too right so it's out there for people to see yeah it's out there but it's in Portuguese no one will understand Um, actually I say only the 100 million people in Brazil yeah only the the 200 million people but yeah we were were asked you know who was going to be the top scorer the champion the whatever and the disappointment and my actual sentence was the disappointment will be the one that has been disappointment for a while now Manchester United and there they go and they start the Champions League with a very good win against Paris Saint-Germain so so how come United were able to do this uh, to do what most European sides couldn't do last season at beat PSG what was it about the performance that they could do it I have to say that uh, although United did not play a bad match, of course they didn't, but I think it was more of PSG's lack of merit than United merit on winning that. It was a terrible performance by PSG. Like, you would see Neymar and, and Mbappé completely lost, like, not speaking to each other, and completely uh, apart from the rest of the team. Uh, the midfield... Uh, what is going on with PSG's midfield? I mean, mm. they're completely dependent upon Verratti. And if Verratti is not playing, then they have absolutely no way to pass the ball. They don't know what to do. So I think PSG was very confident. They made the final. They think this is their season. They underestimated the match. They underestimated the the opponent. And they didn't prepare. And when they, they went on the pitch thinking that, you know, it was Ligue 1 and it wasn't. Well, this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you, uh, to ask both of you. Like PSG invests so much in Mbappe and Neymar and all. When are they going to invest in a decent midfield? Because if you're relying on Verratti and Ander Herrera, you're not, I mean, it'll get you by in the, I think it'll get you by obviously in Ligue 1. But when you want to win the Champions League or do well in the Champions League, it's not good enough, really. Yeah, exactly. I think I think Fihati is a wonderful player, but I think that they're completely dependent upon him and he gets injured a lot. So it's a tricky business. And if you want to be the top team in Europe, if you want to be, you know, one of the top teams in Europe, you have to have a bench. You have to have a quality bench. I do believe they made the right choice by uh, buying Hafinha in the in the summer transfer window. I think Rafinha is amazing, but then again, Rafinha has been injured half of his career, and he's never played top uh, top football for longer than uh, a couple months. So it's very also uh, a bet. We don't know if it's gonna you know uh, pay off, but they definitely need someone to make up for you know. To, to serve those three amazing guys they have up front. Well, uh, am, am I the only one who thinks Verratti is a little bit overrated? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, maybe. I really, really like him. Okay, Manu, Verratti, fan? Yeah, actually, I think that I expected to, uh, that he was going to be a better player than he is, but it was, was Joanna said, his injury 
always like in the most important part of the season every year he get injured a little bit like it happened with Neymar his first two years in in Paris and even for example I remember really important matches that Berratti he didn't he didn't show himself as, a, as an amazing player remember that red card against Real Madrid mm. but at the end that's true I mean PSG is really dependent on him. They are not investing money in, in midfields because at the end, the last years, Herrera came for free. Uh, Gueye was a player who was playing Everton. And even if, if Rafinha, I think like I think like, like Joanna, he's an amazing player. He has been player last season for, for Celta de Vigo. And now this big step from Celta de Vigo to PSG, in my opinion, is, is going to be too much for him. Okay. Yeah. My and again, that injury record never never helps. Uh, a, a word, uh, Joanne, on Axel uh, Tuzenby, if I've pronounced that right. I can never pronounce it right. Uh, who's just played his first game for Manchester United since December 2019, and did he did okay? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, uh, I'm a big fan of Rashford, and I always think Rashford is the best player in the pitch when Manchester United plays. But I think that it was definitely Tuzenby. Like he. Not only was Paris Saint-Germain not creating anything, but when they tried, I think he was there to stop it. So it, it made all the difference to have that one player in a very special night. Uh, but imagine coming back, having not played football since 2019, and uh, some of the stats behind that he ended up with were like one 100% aerial duels, 92% pass accuracy, seven clearances, one block. I mean, that, that must take a mental, a real mental strength as well to be able to come back against like the likes of Mbappe and Neymar and play that well. Exactly. I think maybe he was extra motivated because of that. Like, okay, I haven't been playing, you know, I, I don't get my place in the team. Uh, it's a team with a lot of, uh, well, I wouldn't say top players, but, you know, it's a lot of competition in the squad and he hasn't been on his best form. So I think that he thought, that's my chance. This is what I'm going for. Let's hope that he keeps that performance because sometimes that's what it takes. You know, the guy gets extra motivated because he hasn't been playing. And then at some point, it's hard to get that motivation back. Okay. Um, you weren't impressed by, by PSG, obviously, Joanna. Is it a blip or is it a sign that they're still suffering from that European hangover? Or Ibiza, Ibiza hangover might be a bit more accurate. Yeah, well, I don't think it's it's what they're going to... That football they played on Tuesday is what they're going to be showing throughout the season. I think although they did need, they do need a better midfield, they have the team and the squad to go further in the Champions League than last few seasons. You know, like last season, finally, they, they reached the final. I'm thinking at least semi-final, they have the quality for that, but they need a little bit more of not only some quality on the bench, and on the midfield but the the mental stability to to play every match with the motivation that it takes on on a european level i think playing in the league uh, and with such a huge difference against uh, between them and their opponents in league it's not good for them as for manu you watched uh, juventus beat dinamo kiev yeah actually it was my first time watching Pirlos as a as a manager. How are how were your eyes after looking at that orange kit? Well, the kid was terrible. I mean, I was I, I remember to be looking in, in in social media, and yeah, a lot of people compare it with with Chetos with these these kind of chips. Yeah, I mean, terrible. I don't know. I don't know who had the idea. Okay, uh, there's a couple of concerns over Pirlos start to his uh, you know Juve managerial career. What what did you make of the performance? Yeah, I might say it was not an impressive performance as I said it was the first time that I watched Juventus this season I like it the way that Pirlo wanted to open the field it's not something new Allegri did it a couple of times to play with these three players at the defense but he was doing that only when he was when he was with the ball for example when Juventus was defending Juventus was defending with four people Danilo being the left back but then with the ball Danilo started to play as a third defender and it was Federico Chiesa who was opening the field in the in the left back position with Juan Cuadrado in the in the right one I really like that at the end Juventus was was being aggressive from from both sides but actually the double midfield with a Rabiot and and Betancourt was really static in my opinion I mean it's not an easy way to start to start 7 6 p.m Champions League match in Ukraine against against Dynamo de Kiev the team was not there were like 
two big missings like Cristiano Ronaldo and Dybala, I have to say that it was a, a boring match. But at least I really like this approach to use Chiesa as a as a left back with the ball because it was he's a, he's a guy who is able to, to to do this dribbling to open the to open the field and yeah. And I, I I like it a lot. At least this this key that Pirlo want to 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 do the approach during the match. Yeah, I, I was impressed with Chiesa too. Well, uh, I thought he I thought he did he did look very well throughout. What did you make of um, Aaron Ramsey in the number ten role for Juventus? I have to say something here. I had completely forgotten about Aaron Ramsey, and I was surprised when I saw the the match, and I was like, "Oh my God, he still exists!" Right? I think I thought he played well. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah but yeah, that's he... because I hadn't seen him in a while. I completely forgot he played for Juventus. <laughs> Manu, were you similarly impressed? Yeah, I have to say that, for example, in my opinion, Kulusevski did a better match than him, but it doesn't say that Ramsey didn't play well. Ramsey played. Not only as number ne- as a number ten, I guess that he was playing really close to Morata. It was kind of three-five-two, uh, more or less when 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 Juventus was 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 having the ball, and, and he did well. In my opinion, the, the the worst thing that Juventus had was this static position from Betancur and and Adrian Rabiot that didn't allow Juventus to really get the ball close to close to the close to the attack, close where where, where Ramsey was. But I mean. He did an okay match, as as, as Joanna said. I almost didn't remember how how Ransin played played football, and and it was nice to see him again because he's a guy who really understands the game. And you know, these kind of players used to miss a lot in the last years. Um, I, I have to say, I have to send an apology to uh, to Marada. Myself and Porig Whelan were, let's say, skeptical of how well he might do at Juventus, but he, I thought I thought he took his goals well. You know, for for Marada. <laughs> yeah, he's he scored twice. I mean, in the first half he didn't touch the ball, but then in the second <laughs> half, first goal. I mean, he's a striker. This this kind of of goals that the striker used to strike, but but then the second goal is like typical Morata move. It's like kind of his signature move uh, with the head going to the fir- to, to to the to the first post and just and just putting the ball inside. Actually, I'm not really thinking that Morata is gonna be amazing this season, but. Yeah, actually, how the market was, he's still young. He has like a physical conditions that they are amazing, and and you don't know. And Juventus doesn't need a striker who scores 30 goals per season because there is already a guy. Do you know his name is Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, and he's gonna and he's gonna <laughs> score a lot. So I've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it, no, but it, you're right. He's not going to be. He's not going to be there. He's not going to be their starter. He's probably not going to score thirty goals a season. But he did look at least a little bit more confident any time I saw him play for Chelsea or Atletico. Uh, what I would say, which is you know that's quite nice to see. Um, did anybody see uh, the Bayern game? Speaking of Atleti, yes, I did yesterday. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, impressive. I don't know if Joanna did, but it was impressive. Bayer, it seems that the time doesn't that, that, that we are still in in August and Bayer is playing in the same way. It it was incredible. Atlético de Madrid did a good match in my opinion, but at the end they lost four zero. So imagine if, if if you play if you doesn't play good. I, I didn't really watch it, but you know Atlético Madrid conceding four goals, you have to call it impressive. Yeah, it's not often that happens, Manu, is it? I mean, Atletico was trying to do his match. He was trying to content a little bit Bayern Munich, but when when Kimmich starts to play, he's he's unbeatable. And from the other side, Toliso did an, an, an amazing performance, and of course, Coman. He already scored the, the final goal against against PSG in Lisbon, and yesterday he scored twice. This the second goal. I don't know if you had the option to to watch it. Ian, the second one, he could Messi could sign that goal or Maradona or Cristiano. It was oh. a really good one. Wow, that, that's that's pretty big talk, Manu. Well, I'm gonna watch the goals now. Well, I my favorite, I'd say my favorite goal so far was uh, Luka Modric's goal for for Madrid. Oh, yeah. That was that, that was amazing. The that way was... he shifted it out of his feet and then just inch perfect on the post. That was that, I thought that was quite nice. Yeah, I would recommend you to watch the Portos one against City. It was a Colombian player, uh, Diaz, and the goal was as well incredible. Actually, we had yesterday two or three goals that that they are really really worthy to watch to watch them. Okay, um, it would be remiss of us not to talk about Liverpool. Um, Joanna, I think you had an eye on this one. We all know how good they are going forward. What we didn't know is how good they would be without Virgil Van Dijk. How did they get on? 
I have to say that Fabinho, you know, he is, I think, the most impressive player of the last couple of years in terms of he can do anything, even replace Van, Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> he can place left back, right back, center midfield, uh, attacking midfield. He can play center back uh, in the place of Virgil van Dijk and still get the ball out right before the ball crosses the line. So I guess that's the, he's the man of the match. That was quite the spectacular uh, save on the line, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He is amazing. He actually started his career in the flu, your team. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the right back. And then on Monaco, where, you know, he got his, uh, he called, he started calling attention. Um, he was playing in the midfield as a, you know, defensive midfielder, but he can pretty much play anywhere. I just haven't seen him play as a striker, as a goalkeeper. All the great Brazilian players come through the flu. That's that's my yeah, Marcelo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. They Marce- have a good academy. Um, I I did. Uh, I was impressed by how well or how hard Adrian tried to give away a goal. Though. Well, it wasn't his his worst performance. You know, he saved a couple of really good shots, but you can't really compare anyone to Alisson. I mean, Alisson has no replacement. They, Fabinho doesn't play goalkeeper yet. <laughs> yeah, give it give it time. Um, any other Champions League talk talking points we want to mention, or should we move on to Madrid and Barcelona? I think before we move on to Madrid and Barcelona, we should talk about Madrid. <laughs> um, okay. How how are they ex- preparing themselves for the Barcelona match uh, if they they can't they barely can face Shakhtar? You know that that was that was the surprise of the of the match day. I think right. Yeah, I would have thought so. Especially you would have thought there would have been reaction after the Cadiz defeat, um, which was maybe one of the worst forty five minutes of Zinedine Zidane's reign. Then they go, like you say, they go home. They go at home and lose to Shakhtar Donetsk, who are missing thirteen players. So I would suggest, Manu, that something is not right. That's what my detective brain tells me. Do you know what it is? I mean, Zidane doesn't know what it is, and he's working <laughs> with them every day, so it's complicated to me. But yeah, just going about the the, the discourse about Cali, they were like the worst 45 minutes that of Zidane's reign. I would say that the first 45 minutes against Shakhtar were terrible. Were Terrible. I mean, we were so we watched two different teams: a young one with with spirit, and, and another one that it was Real Madrid with that's true a lot of changes because Tidane was thinking thinking about the Clásico. Benzema was on the bench. Sergio Ramos didn't play because he's he, he's trying to recover himself for for the match against Barcelona. Even even Mendy, who in my opinion it's really important actually right now for Real Madrid, didn't play too. But after. 45 minutes been losing 0-3 against Shakhtar Donetsk let us say the second team of Shakhtar Donetsk because as you say 13 players were, were missing and yeah don't forget Shakhtar Donetsk is actually now third position in the Ukrainian league so we're not talking about oof, and, and, and amazing, an amazing squad um, but yeah no go ahead man yeah but actually in my opinion if I uh, try to ask Wurin John question the main issue, the main problem that Zidane has is Zidane, it has been for, for his career, and he has been really he has been successful, three Champions League for, from four to, to La Liga, so it's a lot he's, he's, he tried to base it everything on trustness and he he has this trustness in the same players always, we are talking about Luka Modric who is already old we are talking about Marcelo who in the last two seasons he, he doesn't have a, a decent level to, to compete against against the best teams in, in, in Europe and actually probably there is the right the, the big problem for Zidane. Zidane is not able to say to his players, his friends, okay, sorry mate, but you are not able to play here anymore. He was able to do it with Gareth Bale because there was no connection, but not with the other ones. And at the end, it, it, it happens always. There we are talking about cycles. It happened in Barcelona with Ronaldinho, Deco and company. It happened, it, it, and it's going to happen in, in Real Madrid too. Modric is old, Marcelo is really old too. And, and actually, if you don't make those the, those changes, then these things can happen. Well, I, I was going to suggest that Marcelo is uh, one of the real problems there. 
I, I, there's some a couple of stats going out that I think their winning percentage with him is something like 57% and uh, when he's out of the team it's something like 67% something along those lines uh, yeah and actually, actually I guess that 7 from the 8 last defeats uh, Real Madrid in Champions League they were with with Marcelo on the field and Actually, another another important stat is like seven from the eight matches that Real Madrid played without Sergio Ramos, it was a defeat too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the real problem. I think Real Madrid is very dependent upon Sergio Ramos, both tactically and defensively, but also in the, when it comes to motivation. I think he's a true captain. So I think when Sergio Ramos is in and Sergio Ramos is out, it's two completely different teams. But what what do you think about Baram? Because for example, we have already we have already see Bar- uh, seen Baram playing with France national team, winning the World Cup. It seems that he's a central defender, able to really has this kind of hierarchy and 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 to be dominant in in the central defender. But when he plays without Sergio Ramos, we we, we watched it or we saw it already against Manchester City. It seems that he's he's another player. He, and he loves an own goal in the Champions League too, doesn't he? Yeah, oh I, th- I think Fahan is amazing, and I think he is, you know, the 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 successor of Sergio Ramos because he's still quite young. But he's been in a really bad time. He's been in a bad moment since the last Champions League, the the the, the final eight, you know, the the Lisbon matches. He's not playing well. It's bad luck, I guess. But maybe the problem is not really Vahan. I mean, of course, he's in a in a bad moment. But I, I don't think Militão has what it takes to be playing for Real Madrid. I mean, every match I see of him playing in Madrid, it's like, ooh, what is he doing there? Yeah, so you think a general clear-out is needed then at, at Madrid, uh, Mano? Yeah, I think that, for example, as I say, players like, like Mendy, they are giving something different and a new fresh because actually the thing that... Real Madrid missed the most against Cali the first half and against against Shakhtar. It was it was they were really passive. They were not active, especially in the high pressure. For me, actually nowadays this high pressure is one of the key things that everything must do well. Otherwise, you are suffering, and that's why I want to think that even if Barang and Militao or Marcelo, they didn't perform well yesterday. That's true. Even the high pressure that players like uh, Rodrigo, Luka Jovic, Toni Kroos, Luka Modric, they have to do, they didn't well. And it happened against Cadiz too. Real Madrid against Cadiz, it was able to to recover only two balls in the in the opposite side of the field. So when you only are able to recover two balls in that opposite side of the field and you are Real Madrid playing against Cadiz, it's because you are doing badly. You are doing terrible, your, your pressure. And at the end, if you you don't do it right you are not a team that they are waiting for 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 the rival you are allow the players like for example the Shakhtar ones that they are really fast to go against you face to face with a lot of space behind and it's for people they it doesn't matter it's Baran Militao or even Sergio Ramos that that's true that Sergio Ramos is a top top class it's really really difficult to 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 defend these kind of attacks Uh, maybe then they should be playing Vinicius more Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. You saw the impact he made when he came on. What did it take him like fifteen seconds to score? Yeah, I guess it was seconds. fourteen. Yeah, fourteen. Mm-hmm. I mean. it, it was a record in the Champions League, like the 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 quickest goal of a player of a sub player coming in. That's pretty decent. Um, a question on on Ramos while we, while we're talking about him here um, is: Are Real Madrid more reliant on Ramos than Barca are on Messi? That, we didn't have the option. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we didn't have the option to see Barcelona playing without Messi. So I don't know if we can if we can answer that question. That's true that with Ramos, the stats are there. The last eight matches without him in Champions League, seven defeats. And with Messi, yeah, who knows? I think it's a different kind of dependency because I think that Ramos makes an impact in the whole team. Like the whole team plays different when he's there. And I think Messi is the different because he can decide it alone. Like Barcelona can be playing a shitty match, uh, be behind 3-0 and then Messi scores three goal out of the blue because, you know, he's he's not from this world. So I think both of them are very dependent on the, their stars, uh, the captains, but it's a different kind of dependency. I would feel scared of letting Ramos down 
I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to let Sergio down. I wouldn't want him to have him be disappointed in me. That's that's, yeah, exactly. that's how I feel about this him. This is the kind of impact he has on the team. You know, he pushes them forward, and on top of that, he scores goals. He he goes up front and he heads the ball to the net and he kicks the penalties. Uh, he he of course makes a huge difference. Um, anybody? Anything worth mentioning from what looked like a fairly enough easy win for Barca in the Champions League? Manu, I didn't even watch that match. I mean, Barcelona no, yeah. doesn't interest me anymore. <laughs> no, and actually Barcelona against Ferenbaros, hopefully, Joanna, you had better plans because it's not a really, a really incredible, impressive match. But yeah, I have to say that first 20 minutes, Barcelona didn't play well. Ferenbaros, we are talking about, a, a, sorry for our Hungarian audience, but we are talking about, about a team from Hungary, that they are not a top-level country in terms of football in the last... 40 years and and in the first 20 minutes for Embarros could score twice so it was a disallowed goal that actually the striker did amazingly they they, they hit a, a, a ball against the post as well but then yeah Messi did something some, something really good I mean he forced the penalty he scored the penalty Messi is playing terrible it, it doesn't matter what the media are saying in the last five six months I mean he's playing Messi's level which actually terrible for Messi it's, it's good but Barcelona is really depending on Messi and because Messi touches I don't know how many decisive balls per match and, and when he's not in his 100 percent it's it's a really it's a really disadvantage for Barcelona attack but yeah at the end he scored the goal with 1-0 everything was easier uh, then Ansu Fati who's who is Oof. starting incredible the, the, the season score and, and give the assist to, to, to Coutinho I don't know if, if you could watch the movement that he does in this Coutinho's goal and then he, how he provides the goal to, to the Brazilian player but if I could be, if it would be possible for me to mention only one thing about about Ferenbaros Barcelona match it was we have a, an amazing guy in Spain called Pedri it's not because he scored actually for me it was his worst performance since he's starting with Barcelona because against Getafe and against uh, Sevilla he did really well and and this guy remember his name because he's you know he's the opposite of this modern football that a lot of people we, we don't like it he's this kind of traditional guy who probably he, he doesn't understand what he's doing he doesn't care about Messi or whoever is playing around him he just say after the match, I feel in Camp Nou like I'm playing with my brother. And, you know, he's kind of Iniesta, a really traditional guy. And yeah, actually, I, lo- I love him. I love him. Only 17 years old and a lot of future. Yeah. And he only costs like five million as well too, right? Yeah, I mean, he had played only for Universidad de Las Palmas in, in the second division. So it was, Barcelona was quickly there because they just decide to pay five millions and, and don't wait for him anymore. I didn't expect him to be in the first team this season because, yeah, 17 years old, you only had experience in, in the second division. But yeah, I mean, you only have to see him control the ball, the way that the, the intelligence that he has when he plays because he's like one meter 70 and he's able to to, 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 to get out of balls to, to, to really defend well because he, he knows where he has to stay in every moment that gives you that that there is something special there is not only dribblings not only bicycles or whatever it's the understanding of football that players like let us say Aaron Ramsey for example Andres Iniesta Xavi Hernandez Luka Modric this kind of players that as I say before we are missing them a lot because nowadays everyone wants to be number 10 everyone wants to be Neymar, become Neymar become Messi and, and, and it's really sad to, to, to have this lack of players who actually understand the game and they just play easy hello Manu? hey we, we lost you there Manu ah uh, okay well, sorry I was talking and talking and talking but uh, I didn't I didn't I didn't realize that, that, that you no we, my, we just we just uh, we just we just lost a little bit uh, but you you say that there's you know everybody wants to be the Mbappe and Neymar and Ebrida nobody wants to be Antoine Griezmann <laughs> no 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 that's true nobody um, that's mm, that's really going wrong there isn't it I mean you could see that in the game against Hetafe yeah he had a he had a chance that actually a striker like Antoine Griezmann he has he has to he has he has to score but I mean there is a lack of confidence in his in his way of playing and and I don't know actually I'm not able to find a solution for him because the position where Griezmann should play is the Messi's one so 
actually everyone knows that he's not going to play there. Um, how are you going to find the solution for that? I mean, Kuman already he I get I get I guess he, he lost his patience. And well, and actually already? what? Yeah, because uh, because he, he giving Griezmann like the chance to play like the third four matches in a row Griezmann didn't performing well and then Griezmann cannot go with France and say no it's because my coach he knows where I should play sorry guy but you are in a team there are different roles that you are a, a, a guy who is earning I don't know how many millions you have to adapt himself to and even if I'm confident I'm, I'm giving you my confidence and my trustness you cannot go to play with your national team and just criticize what I do and that's why he didn't play against Ferran Baros and I have the feeling that he's not going to start against Real Madrid maybe I'm failing but I have this feeling that that Kuman is going to play or with Dembélé or or with Trincao in in the right side. Ooh, that's quite a that, yeah, that's quite a statement then. From yeah. from from Kuman. Um, any other? So yeah, we have El Clasico. It's uh, it's this weekend. Any other uh, tactical or team talking points going into the game then, Manu? Mm, yeah, I would like to mention the high pressure. As I said before, I think that the team that the the, the bravest team who decide to do this high pressure and do it properly is going to be the one who is going to already start winning the match. And the second point that, in my opinion, it's going to be a big difference between these Clásicos and the previous Clásicos that we have watched the last two, three years is the to be vertical. We have seen Real Madrid being vertical with Vinicius, for example, in Camp Nou two years ago in Santiago Bernabéu last year. He was uh, the, the, the key of the game. But this season, I guess, that Barcelona is going to be able to be vertical too. Like, for example, Shakhtar did uh, yesterday against Real. Because Kuman tried to to use this space, playing with two wingers. That's why I think that the Griezmann is not going to be in the start 11. And because they have Ansu Fati and hopefully Jordi Alba, who can really be key players against against Real Madrid. In my opinion, they are going to be the, 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 the two big things. The one who, who decide to do this high pressure and do it better. And the one who is more vertical, let us say, with Vinicius or with Ansu Fati. Okay, give us your predictions then. Um, I'm gonna go for two one for Barcelona. Joanna, I think it's gonna be a tie. I think both teams are still trying to start the season. It feels like they haven't really started yet. Uh, they're both very very unstable, and the last classicals that we saw were, you know, comp- for a classical for Real Madrid Barcelona were pretty boring. So I think it's going to be a more leveled. Maybe not boring, but leveled. I'm going to go for a tie, like 1-1. One, one. Oh, what a way to get excited for a Clásico yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> but with Ansu Fati and Vinicius goal, so at least we're going to have some excitement on the, the these youngsters. Okay. And what about you, Ian? Do you have any oh, predictions? Well, yeah, you didn't know that you ask. I am going to say 2-0 uh, to Madrid. Ooh, bold. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. Brave one. Yeah, I, I feel like if, if Ramos is back and firing, I feel like Madrid have a point to prove. I don't think Barcelona are playing particularly well at the moment. I could see them. I could see them suffer. Okay, so this is the newish part of the pod where we get a fan to geek out about their club. Last time around, it was Crystal Palace with the Athletics Dom Fifield. This time, it's the turn of podcast favourite, Nico Hamer. Hey! Nico, I'd love to say I miss seeing your face in lockdown, but every time I open the OneFootball app, I see an ad with your face in it. I know, it's the same for me. I think <laughs> I have to stop using the app at this point. It's shocking. Uh, how embarrassing is it to see yourself in the app every time you open it? Uh, or have, honestly, you, have you got over it? I got over that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to lie. I think the the background or the photo of me, basically, it doesn't look great. It's just not my best day when the photo was taken. I feel like that's a pretty outdated photo, too. You've you've matured since then, I think, Nico. I think it's like legit three years old by now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the real love of your life uh, is Frankfurt. Eintracht yeah. Frankfurt. So yeah. so why Frankfurt? What got, what got you behind them? 
Well, it's the closest to hometown team that I have, I would say. Well, actually, it's not even true because technically Mainz 05 would have been closer, but there was never an option. So um, when I was a young young lad, I was uh, when I was really, really young, I was actually a Bayern fan, but I'm talking like a kid here. And then my dad uh, took me to the Waldstadion, the, the home ground for the first time. And it's, to me, till today, one of the most magical places I've ever been to. And I think... Um, You enter the you enter the Waldstadion and you either hate it and you will never return or you want to be there every single weekend. Um, it's a pretty magical place. It has this like a bit of a smell of adventure in there. You know, it's it's so rowdy. It's such a it's always sold out. It's one of the highest um, attendance since all over Europe. It's a like top twenty five every year, and that for a club that is clearly not a top twenty five club in Europe. And I just remember the very, very first time I went to a game there. Um, it must have been versus uh, MSV Duisburg, which is not a very attractive opponent. Wow. And it was raining. It was cold. It was like this time of the year, you know, October, November. It was a shocking game. And um, my dad hated every second of it. And I didn't want to leave. Right. Was it? I mean, because I, I very clearly my connection with my father initially when I was younger was through football, as it is for so many uh, sons and daughters around the around the world. Was that was that the same for you? Hundred percent. It was maybe even sport in general. Um, I'm I'm pretty uh, into any sport. Basically, obviously, football is the most, and so was my dad. So our weekends were basically a time when we connected. And we were either playing football outside or just watching sports, listening to sports on the radio. And um, yeah, it was clearly a huge part of the connection to my to my father. Yes. And how often did you go when you were young? So how how accessible was it to go to all of the games? At the beginning, not as much. Um, at the beginning, when I was like 10, 9, 8, um, I obviously was had to rely on my parents to go there. And my dad um, liked football better from the couch. Um, he always, always liked it better from home. He thought it was stressful being in the stadium. He always, I think he... I think he felt like he must like protect me at all costs. And you know how in a football stadium, sometimes there are words thrown around that like maybe an eight-year-old shouldn't hear <laughs> and that that stuff. So at the beginning, it wasn't that often. But then when I would, like became a teenager and I was able to make more and more of my own decisions, um, I basically went whenever I could afford it. And um, before I moved to Berlin, the last season in 2009-2010, I actually was the first season I had a, finally a, a season ticket. Okay, so you were then going, you were spending your weekends going to all of the home games. And to most of the away games too, yeah. I was traveling. The Frankfurt fans are, uh, uh, they like to travel. Okay. <laughs> one, of, one of our favorite things. And um, it's just amazing because like even to the, the, the worst opponents in the Bundesliga, we will go with like four, five, six, maybe 10,000 fans at times. And, you know, it's just fun to be in such an enormous crowd that all have the same passion and share it for the same club. And you, you've—I know from from talking to you—you you followed them around Europe too. You've d you've done the European trips with them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever I, when, whenever we get to to travel around Europe, we're there. Um, the last away game was uh, versus uh, Salzburg in February, and uh, I was there too. That was the last amazing thing I did this year before all this happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> this. Uh, so, for those who don't know much about the club, maybe you could give give us like a, a brief history lesson on them. Yeah. Um, so, boring facts first. Eintracht was founded in 1899. Um, obviously, the name wasn't Eintracht Frankfurt at the beginning. You know how it is. Uh, one club leads to another club. That leads to another club. And I think around 1920, it became Eintracht Frankfurt. And it has been basically since, I would say, 1930, one of the most uh, important clubs. Clubs in Germany, I would clearly rank them in the top ten. In the all-time Bundesliga table, uh, we're seventh or eighth. One of uh, one of uh, those, I'm not really sure. So it's clearly one of the um, longest uh, playing members in the Bundesliga, over 50 seasons by now. And um, we had a yeah, we had a we had a pretty pretty wild history in the 70s, um, 70s and parts of the 80s. Uh, Frankfurt was one of the top teams in Germany and actually therefore in Europe, um, at least for a few few years. And in the early 90s, it even looked like we could dominate Europe, uh, Germany. And um, I'm going to probably talk about that later, but it led to a shocking downfall in, in a very short amount of time from being 
on the edge of becoming German champion, Deutscher Meister, to being relegated for the first time and then basically battling promotion for promotion and against relegation every single year going up and down for a solid 10 years. Um, and now uh, we're back in the top flight um, since a few years now. And um, I'm, I, I think that's where Frankfurt belongs, obviously. Were, the, were those sort of mid-70s when you were, you were winning the Pokal? Was that the sort of, is that the glory days of the club? I would say so, yeah. Um, we actually went to a Champions League final once. Obviously, it wasn't called Champions League back then and got absolutely spanked by Real Madrid, <laughs> I think 7-2 in the end. Um, I once once met a, a hardcore Real Madrid fan like he has his own, oh, he, who has his own Real Madrid museum and he was completely amazed he met a Frankfurt fan because he could give me the booklet from the game back then um, and tell me how it ended 7-2. So it was great for me. But yeah, we won the, the German Cup twice in the 70s, um, the UEFA Cup in the in 80 and... Um, Definitely the 70s were the glory years, yeah. Well, that, that final, uh, which I think was 1960, if, if, I've, mm. if I'm not mistaken, I, I believe that was the one that made Alex Ferguson fall in love with football. Is that true? I think it might be. I think that was the one where he sa he saw the Stefano and he saw Puskas uh, bas oh, yeah, no, basically yeah, destroy yeah, Frankfurt, and because it was it was played in Hampden Park in Glasgow. And you're obviously right because it was the year after our only championship, so it must have been 1960. Exactly. So uh, I think that was the one. That was the one. So you know, you're you're partially responsible for for Alex Ferguson and his brilliance. That is honestly one of the best things I've heard about and uh, <laughs> Frankfurt, especially that final. That's well. That's my spin on it. Yeah, that's, that's my spin from now on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's up there with one of the top moments. Uh, yeah. What else is up there? Because you were Zweite Bundesliga champions as well. Yeah, but that's not a moment um, I would... I would. So look, um, like I said, Frankfurt, Frankfurt is not the most successful club in Germany, um, but we are clearly what the German word is, Turniermannschaft, a team that gets better in a tournament, that is brilliant in knockout games and not so much over a longer, longer period, which obviously led to us only winning the league once in 1959. And like, you can't imagine, that was like, that was far from being planned at that point. So... I didn't. I wasn't around, but I think I have to count that as one of the biggest, <laughs> biggest things. In 1980, Eintracht Frankfurt won the UEFA Cup in the final versus Gladbach. Um, that's a game that I've been retold that often that I actually don't want to hear about it anymore. And you and destroyed. If I, I think you destroyed Bayern Munich. I think in, in the in the semi-finals, right? On the way there, exactly. It was uh, three Germans in the in the semi-final. Yeah. And um, it wasn't only that, that, but Eintracht Frankfurt was playing an amazing, amazing football that year. Um, it was actually, at least in the in the Frankfurt press, um, it was called the future of football. What Frankfurt was playing in uh, in those times, in those years, and um, yeah, it was. Like, I actually, it's you know, I'm not the biggest fan of watching, let's say, uh, very very old. Uh, <laughs> Uh, matches, but um, I actually rewatched parts of that, and uh, we knocked out Feyenoord on the way, who actually were obviously were big back then, and um, and one I think I'm not sure. I think it must have been three five in both legs versus uh, versus Bayern, and we lost the first leg and then spanked them in the second. Mm. Uh, so that was it was pretty good. Yeah. So always a nice thing. Yeah. When you're yeah. a Frankfurt fan, so, I'm sure. 1959, I would say. 1980. Obviously, you know, the only European Cup. And then, like, pick one of our five domestic cups. Um, for me, it, it, it has to be the 17-18 one. Um, it's the only title that uh, Frankfurt, like, besides the second division cup, which uh, championship, which is completely worthless. Um, besides that, it's the only title I've ever seen Frankfurt win. And it is clearly, clearly, clearly one of the best moments in my life and certainly the best moment connected to football. In that year, actually, um, it was the World Cup year and I was already working here for One Football. And as you remember, we had to pick our holidays rather uh, carefully and had to put them in, in the, at the beginning of the year because obviously during the World Cup would be hard to go on holiday. And so I selected the week of the Cup Final because we've been to the Cup Final the year prior and I thought... Um, we will never be able to make it again. We just lost to Dortmund. We're good, but we're not that good. And, well, we made it there and we played um, Bayern München. 
the superpower. The, v- the, the, and a very good Bayern München, we, we, we yes, should say. Yes. Like Bayern on, on the peak of the powers. It's like in the middle of this eight-year run that they're on right now. They've all, they've been d- dominating Germany at that point for seven years and they went on to do it for, for even longer. And um, yeah, so I was not in the stadium and it was played in Berlin, but uh, um, I was on holiday with my dad and um, we basically uh, were, <laughs> we stayed the day, we didn't go to the beach or anything, we, we stayed at the at the house, um, we were listening or watching highlights, highlights had a few cold drinks and um, then we were up to one by the 89th minute and there's a corner kick to Bayern Munich and um, Manuel Neuer goes in our box and we headed out. And then Michal Kasinovic is, he went for 80 meters, open goal. And I, I, I just remember my dad and I we were screaming so hard. I was screaming so hard. I nearly passed out. I saw black, black spots in front of my eyes. And, <laughs> you know, this, this moment on the, on the end of a final like that, when like 30 years of waiting for something and then it ends with an 80 meters open goal run. Uh, that was and the, the entire and the entire team was running with him. The the entire every sub on the on the sideline was running with him. The entire team. They're amazing photos. The fans were already coming down from the from the stands. They were just climbing over every fence. The security just went out of the way, and and yeah, an absolute absolute insane moment. And for me personally by far the biggest uh, success we ever had and the best moment I had with Eintracht Frankfurt. What seldom is what seldom is is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, what about worst moments, Nico? Uh, you know, the, the, most clubs have this one thing that get gets passed on or passed down generation to generation. And mm-hmm. for Frankfurt, it must be um, the 16th of May 1992 in Rostock. Um, at that point, Frankfurt had what uh, we like to say was the best Frankfurt team of all time. Um, it was a it was a great team. It had some of the best footballers like Uwe Bayern, who is an absolute Frankfurt legend, uh, in the squad. And on the second, now on the last match day, back then, um, thirty eight match days in the Bundesliga, we went to Rostock, and Rostock was already relegated, and we needed a win to, yeah, become German champions for the first time since nineteen fifty nine. And what happened was Frankfurt lost two one. And not only did we lose 2-1, but um, the fashion we lost is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, it was it was a pretty boring game for a long time. time. Then they go up and we immediately equalize. Two minutes after they, they score, we equalize. It's 1-1 and it feels like, all right, now we're in the driver's seat here, right? We have the momentum going. And um, my dad listened to it on the radio. I can only retell his story here. And he told me, and then um, the radio commentator said, Penalty for Frankfurt. F meter for Frankfurt. F meter for Frankfurt. And uh, my dad was already, you know, he was so nervous. He was freaking out. And um, well, he didn't give that penalty. It was a clear foul. It was a clear, clear foul. He did not give that penalty. He was shown it after the match. The the referee, whose name was Berg. I shouldn't know the name, but everybody does. Alphonse Berg. After the game, 15 minutes after, they show him the 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 replay, and he said, "Yeah." I should have given that. There was a clear mistake. I'm very, very sorry, Eintracht Frankfurt. And in the 89th minute, Hansa Rostock scores 2-1, and we actually dropped down to the third place. And I think I this is I'm actually happy I was too young to witness this because just the the getting this story told is so heartbreaking. It's I almost feel it in the pit of my stomach here. <laughs> it's 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 bad. It's so bad. And you know, um let me put it this way, um the relationship between Rostock and Frankfurt was never the same. The Rostock fans, <laughs> the Rostock fans I, like you could say they were pretty happy about it. You know, like they they were already going down. They they all they had to do was crush a dream here at least, you know. Give give the fans something to celebrate. And they did. They did. Wow. I I mean it, that helplessness Mm-hmm. In the face of something that's so obvious, as an Irish person who's experienced Thierry Henry, mm-hmm. uh, I can I can testify to how bad that actually feels. I, 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 honestly, I um, I'm just happy I was not old enough to to yeah to be around there to 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 see it to hear it. I'm just happy about it because I don't know how to handle it, and we we never had a heartbreak ever since. I mean, I've been through uh, relegations and close call nearly relegations and lost cup finals and I think that nothing 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 comes close to that well 
Um, are there any interesting stories behind the, the crest or the club colours or is it is it a fairly oh, standard one? It is pretty straightforward. The um, the eagle um, comes from the, the city city crest of Frankfurt um, and uh, the colours um, which are black, white and red come from also the city of Frankfurt. It is red and white and uh, black and white came from the colours of Prussia. And um, while technically red and white are the main colors frankfurt prefers to play in black and white for the simple reason that the biggest rival kickers offenbach um, plays in red and white so we had to no go with something else there but besides that it's not not too interesting well well that is what i wanted to ask i i, th- I thought they were the main rival but how often did they frankfurt even get to play them well not often anymore no <laughs> No, That's true. no, the kickers are basically gone. But the, um, there were some, there were years where, the, where, first of all, the kickers were played Bundesliga too, obviously. And then in the nineties and early two thousands, there were quite a few years where we kept on meeting in the in the uh, second division. Right. I, I guess outside of them, then it's probably somebody, it's probably like Mainz or Kaiserslautern. Well, Mainz, Mainz likes to say that we don't care about Mainz. <laughs> but you know, if I have to point out we don't care about him, you already know that we do care about him. But Just a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Kaiserslautern would be number two. Yeah. Kaisers, but on the other hand, Kaiserslautern like, tries really hard to be hated by everyone. And they're doing a great job. Okay. And do, do Darmstadt fit into that at all? No. No. Nah, well, nobody cares. Okay. I mean, I mean, yes. Like we, you always want to. Like when we're in the same league, it is pretty important to finish above them. We have to be the number one of the state of Hessen. But um, besides that, nah, nah. Even the FSV Frankfurt, the second club from Frankfurt, is actually rather a friendly relationship to them. Ah, okay. Uh, well, that's not often that happens within a city. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, who's the who's the one player, the or the manager of the club's history? The, you know, the one that really represents what the club is all about. So there are quite a few in a club with that long of a history. Um, I would say the the old generation would call Jürgen Grabowski Uwe Bayern, who was known to have one of the best one of one of best German passes of all time. Bernd Hölzenbein, obviously JJ Okocha started his career with us. Oh. Andy Möller. More recently, we had Luka Jovic, Ante Rebic, Sebastian Alea, but and my personal hero would be Alex Meyer. But there's a very very clear favorite here, and oh. it's Charlie Kerber. Um, he played in our first team for 20 years. He had 602 Bundesliga matches, which is an all-time record all over the league. Seven Over 700 matches in total for Eintracht Frankfurt. He is um, running our youth academy these days. He has clearly, clearly, completely dedicated his life to Eintracht Frankfurt. And um, it has to be Charlie Körper. He's your Javier Zanetti. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. If I it... mean, look, it's a Bundesliga record. 602 matches. It's insane. That is pretty impressive when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, where does the club stand today then? Um, I would I would rank us as um, a, like we're competing for the European Euroleague qualification. Like if everything goes right, then I would say sixth, seventh in the in the league. If everything goes actually right, how it looks right now, then then could be fifth, but not any higher than that. We had some struggles. Um, well, we actually nearly got relegated in 2014 and um, have been struggling to build back up ever since, but did a great job. I actually think that this Eintracht Frankfurt, or actually the Eintracht Frankfurt from one and a half years ago with uh, Rebic Jovic and Aller, is the best Frankfurt I've ever seen. So I would uh, clearly place us in the top 10 German teams fighting for European qualification. And that's the that's the aim for the season. Well, actually, for this season, we put out a bit of a lower lower target because we had a pretty big squad after playing in Europe for two years. Had to sell a lot of players, um, so I think uh, top ten finish would be the would be the goal. Lovely. Thank you very much, Nico. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. That's all from us today. My thanks to Manu, Joanna and Nico. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, should you miss us, you can listen to the back catalogue on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com.